Hello, Little GI listeners. This is your host, Jesse Weiler, and we have another great episode for you. This week, we are talking about an address that Pope Paul VI gave to a general assembly shortly before the official changes in Vatican II happened. He called these changes uh, changes in the Mass to, to form a greater apostolate. This is a very interesting address. It gives us a glimpse into the mind of people shortly before the Mass actually changed after Vatican II. Very interesting stuff. I'm really glad the guys brought this up. So without further ado, episode 17 of season 2 of The Liturgy Guys. Enjoy. I'm going to talk to you today about the Mass. The liturgy is what enculturates the gospel for us. What are you, some kind of altar boy? And, and it enculturates it into our day-to-day life, our, our day-to-day existence. It's pretty dang exciting, huh? We're called not to some crapshoot called life, but to an adventure in fidelity that beckons us to cast out to the deep. The Liturgical Institute is proud to present The Liturgy Guys. Chris. What do you call a seminarian who studies at the North American Pontifical College? Rome schooled. (laughs) Oh, Oh, man. All right. I'm just going to start singing random things right now. Live from Madison, Wisconsin. It's Liturgy Guys again. Behind curtain number one, Jesse and his human beatbox. Behind curtain number two, D-Mac and his brilliant intellect. Behind number three, the Zonker Prize, Chris Carsten. What do you mean you're ready now? You should have been ready. We'll be ready in front of the microphone. just did the intro. Let's go. Okay. Oh, sorry. We want to talk about Paul VI. Paul VI, Paul VI. You know, we did a podcast a while back about that instruction on the liturgy. What was it called again, Chris? Inter- I don't know. Something, uh, some Latin. The third instruction for the right application of Sacrosanctum and Gachilium. Liturgicae Instaurationis. There you go. He, he says he doesn't, he says it doesn't yeah, know. Class, like September said, 5th. Classic Chris. Oh, I just don't know. And then like an exact. This oh, is a paraphrase. something in my memory. Oh, yeah. okay. Okay. I don't like jogging at all, so I don't think that's true. But just oh, uh, a year, less than a year earlier, Paul VI had a uh, general audience. That means he goes out and gives a speech to whoever's there. To a bunch of generals. Yes, a general audience. They're very <laughs> crusty. Audience. Yeah, there's a lot of saluting going on. But he's talking about changes in mass for a greater apostolate. Now, there is this in-between time. You know, you read Sacrosanctum Concilium, and it says Latin is the language of the church. Is, it, is this post-Vatican II? Yes, this okay. is 1969. Got so, it. Concilium comes out in what year, Chris? Uh, 63. 63, yeah. And so... I'm That's just guessing, but December 4th, 1963. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Approximately 1123 a.m. I love it. I love it. That was for you, Jesse. Jesse. So oh, Paul yeah. VI has to do it, right? Vatican II is you know, started by John Twenty-Third, and they write up this thing. Paul VI, the, the Pope who comes after, he's got to make sure it happens. So I think a lot happens between 63 and 1970 when the new missile comes out. And we, a lot of people ask the question, well, what happened? Why is this new stuff? Where did the venerable tradition go? What happened to Latin? And so he gives out this talk, which I don't think too many people read. I've um, never read it. I've never read it. I don't either. even know what you're talking about right really? now. So. Well, it's a general audience changes in mass for a greater apostolate, which is very much a liturgical movement thing, right? We want more people to participate. So, um, actually, even apostolate. One of the documents was called Apostolicam 
actuositatem, apostolate. Or something like that. But yeah, I'm just, yeah, I'm so paraphrasing. Just, yeah. But uh, who uses the word, apo- the word apostolate at all anymore? Right. I mean, there's a term that just the completely apostles, fell off the, the face of I hear it a lot. Do you? These days. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It's being a resurgence. Well, the, the apostles are Used to be everything are was, charged it was, by Christ. It was ministry or nothing. No, I, I hear a lot of, uh, this is our apostolate. We do oh, these good. things. and Oh, I've, I've heard it good. a lot lately, yeah. That's great. Well, he says, the new rite of the Mass will be introduced in our celebration of the Holy Sacrifice starting next Sunday. So this is the week before the new Missal comes out, oh, and he's trying man. to prepare people uh, for it. <laughs> Boy. Good he luck. Call, he calls it the liturgical <laughs> innovation of the new rite of the mass, which is already pretty like serious language of novelty, innovation, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And he says, a new rite of the mass, colon, a change in a venerable tradition that has gone on for centuries that affects our hereditary religious patrimony, which seem to enjoy the privilege of being untouchable and settled. Man, popes are smart. Remember the, uh, the thing people say from... Pius the fifth, and that that was the missile forever, right? For for mm. time going forward. Oh, that's like the excuse to not use the new missile, right? Okay, and you know people say, oh, they made these changes and they didn't think about it. Well, if you read this, he said he's saying yes, it seemed to bring the prayerful the prayer of our forefathers, uh, the comfort of feeling faithful to our spiritual past, we hand it on to the next generations. It's such a moment we get a better understanding of the value of tradition. This change will affect the ceremonies of the mass. And they're no longer being carried out with the same words and gestures. Um, this change also touches the faithful. We have to draw them out of their customary personal devotions or their usual torpor. Tor- what? what? Torpor. What's torpor, Chris? Man, look at me. Torpor is usually I don't the word have any torpor. they use to describe when a body is dead and it goes into rigor mortis. It's, it's full of torpor. It means like a stiffness. What? Like I, a nobody dead says that. Stiffness. Well, Paul VI did. He was. I watch a lot of crime procedurals. Never heard the word torpor. Torpor. But personal devotions is the usual critique that people who were at the low mass or whatever didn't understand the Latin or they didn't follow whether they could or should. It's another question, but often they didn't and they would do devotions instead. So that's one thing. Or torpor, kind of total indifference, sitting there waiting mass to be over. And so he says, these changes are going to draw them out of that torpor, which is important thing to do right if you want people mm-hmm. to participate in the liturgy if you want people to participate in the liturgy you should use like real words that's what i say but go ahead unlike torpor yeah know. yeah i mean it's a real word but you know what i mean yeah and so do you think he would just smile at the people and say this will be so easy and smooth no he nobody says thought that we must prepare for this many-sided inconvenience mm. It's the kind of upset caused by every novelty that breaks our habits. Pious persons are disturbed the most. And I think you can still see that uh, out in parishes these days. The only many-sided inconvenience I know of is a stop sign. Am I right? Ugh. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. They will feel shaken out of their usual thoughts and obliged to follow those of others. Even priests may feel annoyed. Even and the people. Don't forget about the people. But he gets it. He says, this novelty is no small thing. We should not be surprised of the nuisance of these changes. Intelligent persons and conscientious faithful will find out as much, should find out as much as they can. And he calls it a grave change. Like, he knew this was a big deal. Now, the question is whether it should have been a smaller change or a bigger change, what was prudent and all that. But it's not like people just blatantly said, oh, everything's the same now and what's wrong with you? There is a real recognition that there's a change. That's pretty darn significant here. 
we need to get you like an official page holder or yeah. I don't know, maybe no, like I a think computer. It, it or shows something. that we're actually using real documents here. But he calls it a prophetic moment. So I don't know that everybody thinks of it that way, you know, but the mystical body of Christ, which is the church, it's being, a, it says uh, the moment that is shaking the church, arousing it, obliging it to renew the mysterious art of its prayer. Say something about that, Chris. Waking up the church. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Jesse. Okay, say something about that, Jesse. No. And now Jesse has commentary <laughs> on the general audience of politics. <laughs> okay. For you listeners at home, that was his chair. So what do you think about shaking the church, arousing it, obliging it to renew the mysterious art of its prayer, Chris? Well, that's the opposite of torpor, isn't it? It to is. To make new and to bring uh, back to life. Get and up out of your tomb, wake up, be resurrected. Mm-hmm. Oh, like Lazarus. Like I know that one. Lazarus, Lazarus, come out, yeah. But it's not, uh, they don't not know that this is a big change. It's very obvious. This moment is shaking the church. A lot of people are going to be annoyed. A lot of people are not going to know what to do. But the point is to wake people up from their kind of complacency. And so the number one thing probably, Chris has the document in front of him, so we'll look at you. And now, Jesse, predict what Paul Paul VI said in number eight. What's Um, the number one thing that would probably be the biggest change for most people? Probably the language. Yes. Good job, Jesse. Man. I I legit do not have anything in front of me. That was a guess. Right. And I guessed right. He says, no longer Latin, but the spoken language will be the principal language of the mass. The introduction of the vernacular will be a great sacrifice for those who know the beauty, the power, and expressive sacrality of Latin. So Hmm. there's kind of a little bit of a mourning going on here. You know, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. Mourning. Oh, sad. You know, being sad for the death of something. He says, we're parting with the speech of the Christian centuries. We're becoming like profane intruders in the literary wow. preserve of sacred utterance. We will lose a great part of that stupendous and incomparable artistic and spiritual thing, the Gregorian chant. Hmm. Wait, what? He's, he says we will lose that? Right, because if you're not using Latin anymore and all this chant is in Latin, he says we're going to lose they, it. But they say in those documents that it should it's remain. It's pride of place. I know. So this is the kind of thing, you know. There I the, am confused. Have you ever heard? Like, the, you know, we, we are becoming like profane intruders into the literary preserve. Oh, I like utterance. that because it's because we're having a, a new experience of something that we've never been able to see mm. before. Wow, I like that. So this is sort of like Guardini's question about album number two, <laughs> profane intruders. intruders. So Guardini is sort of like, well, can can. Uh, People even do this anymore. Paul VI is saying, why are we doing this? He says, we have reason for regret and bewilderment. What were you pointing at there, Chris? Oh, that same thing. It's, it's hard to believe he's saying these things. You know, we have reason indeed for regret, reason almost for bewilderment. And it makes you want to ask him, well, why are you doing, why are you doing this? Then? Well, he'll give us an answer, but he really sets it up. I mean, this is kind of real rhetorical stuff here. The next sentence, what can we put in the place of that language of the angels? Hmm. Latin, the language of Greek. the angels. We are giving up something of priceless worth. But why? What is more precious than these loftiest of our church's values? And mm. then... He, I'm he waiting, for the, turn. I waiting for the turn. All the listeners are like, what could it be? I'm afraid could we're out of time for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> join us Donate join us next week as we <laughs> to get <laughs> the answer. He says, the answer will seem banal, prosaic. Understanding of prayer is worth more than the silken garments of which it is royally dressed. That's his Mm. answer. Participation by the people is worth more, particularly modern people, so fond of plain language, which is easily understood and converted into everyday speech. 
Mm-hmm. Now, you can argue whether or not this is a, argument is right or not, but he has a reason. And the reason is you can surround all, you can put people in a sea of silken garments, but if they don't know what's in them, you're mm-hmm. kind of missing out. If they can't mm-hmm. have that that true encounter, then they're going to miss out on something. Right. Now, I can imagine certain people, if they were in this room, would say, well, just because it's an everyday speech doesn't mean people understand it anymore. Mm-hmm. And maybe the mystery leads them to inquire. But it's all a bridge anyway, right? I mean, the, 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 the architecture is a bridge to understand that foretaste of that heavenly liturgy. Yeah, it's a bridge, but at the same time, it, it is the actual real participation in that thing, mm-hmm. too. So it's not... You're right. It, it, it it's a means yeah. to get there, but it's also the there at the same this is, time. I mean that and that particular argument, I guess, is is really hard to kind of, you know, figure out. Like you said, because I think there's really good reasons on both sides of why that would be true or not true. Right. We were talking about modernity in an uh, episode a while back, what it was and what it's defined by, and it's interesting that he says. Um, particular the the participation of modern people so fond of plain speech and everyday speech it really goes to show you we're kind of postmoderns and many of us now that the plain speech and the everyday speech is kind of worn off it might have been a novelty for a while but uh, many people now are like wait we need some elevated speech and this is still the arguments people are having about translation should it be elevated speech or everyday speech are you a modern or are you a postmodern mm-hmm. not everybody puts it in relation to modern and postmodern but i think that is the question now Chris is furrowing his brow and just imagine Chris just with his fingers rubbing his chin and looking thoughtful. Tell us your profound thoughts, Chris. No, they're not profound. They're just... Uh, just profane. Are they banal, <laughs> yeah, okay. are they banal and prosaic? I, are, they torpor? And are they torpid? No, just for the second podcast in a row, I like to think I know you know these documents. These are really... Um, uh, put that one away. Really fascinating. I've never read this before. Hmm. You should have read it before the yeah. podcast. Yeah. Right. So, you yeah, know, do your exactly. homework. <laughs> now, you know, a council document, of course, is guided by a certain kind of inerrancy. Not complete, like, um, you know, they, they can't make a mistake. But this is an application of a council. So you could say, well, maybe they didn't get it quite right when they did this adaptation. Or you could say, maybe this is exactly what the church uh, needed. What, what type of document is this? An it's exhortation? A, it's a, a general a, address. So what is to, that? It's just the Pope out there having a general audience just talking to a lot of people so I don't know does that like I don't know if they were doing the same thing as we would do it would be like the Sunday Angelus or the Wednesday general audience yeah I I imagine it's one of those Wednesday general audience kind of things it's kind of and and Pope John Paul II did these theology of the body things in those and then they collected them up so something like this is not really doesn't contain any new regulations or laws or anything. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of explaining why these things are happening. Yeah. So it, this is the context for right. the text. But it's clear to, to denote that because to to note that because you know right. What authority does the general correct. audience have? It's always. But still, just in its proximity, like it's Wednesday. Okay, on Sunday, we're, you're going to see this new mass, <laughs> and and you're going to think you're a profane intruder in the church. <laughs> and, and we're giving up the language of the yeah, angels. Yeah. But but don't worry. <laughs> don't worry too much. It's like telling your kid she's going to have an operation. Oh, no, next Sunday, we're going to take you to the hospital, mm. and don't be scared, because <laughs> it'll be fine. But I guess yeah. that's but just But everything it. will be in English this time. <laughs> that's right. But no, I mean, what, what you would tell your kid, and what he's telling the people, is, is the, the purpose of all of this is so that you can rise from your torpor and to take on in a more accessible way the new divine life of grace uh, in Christ and the operation without the 
an eye on the effect and that you'll kind of get your re- regain your health yeah it would be a, an amazingly daunting thing and giving up these things sacrificing these things without the you know seeing the flip side of it that what the fruit of this will be would similarly be uh, a pretty dismal uh, uh, prognosis right and notice what he doesn't say he doesn't say Latin is stupid. We should have gotten rid of this a long time ago. No one's going to miss it anyway because we're tired of it. Nobody understands it. He says complete opposite of that. This is a treasure. It's the language of the angels. It's a great sacrifice that has expressive sacrality. We're parting with the speech of the centuries. Uh, we'll lose a lot of really great things. Like He, he walks knew, that line pretty well. He between, knew it. Yeah. Right? And when some mm-hmm. people say, well, we, we gave up all this stuff. And he says, why? Because people being sanctified by participating in the liturgy is more important than all this beautiful stuff that's around it. Now, you can argue whether that's right or not, but there is a linear kind of thought pattern here, which is this is more important than that. In fact, the next paragraph, number 12, he says, if the divine Latin language, right, the divine Latin language uh, keeps us children, uh, youth, and the labor of affairs, if it were a dark screen, not a clear window, would it be right for us to maintain this as the exclusive language of prayer? So, whether it is or not is an interesting question, but it seems to perceive it to be uh, to be that, and so even though it's surrounded by all this great stuff, painfully so, got to get rid of that. Something like the uh, orchestral masses by Mozart and Haydn and Handel, there are all these beautiful things, and we can't really sing them anymore because people can't answer; they can't sing along, and so that where do they go? All these great artistic treasures—they're sort of shelved for the, the larger mission. This might be a dangerous application, but you remember the podcast we did about Monophysite liturgists and the story in liturgists? Yes. I wonder if some of those things, maybe that he's describing or that you're bringing up, you know, tend towards the Monophysite. They were, they were beautiful and they were angelic and they were heavenly and they were divine, but they were, um, for many people, uh, very inaccessible. And so they weren't as, uh, as effective as they might be. Now, I suppose what happened is, is that we went from Hard, we went from an offsite to hardcore and historian, but um, and that's not that's not right either. But I wonder if that's what you're describing here is, is an example of that. Well, yeah, in a way, and he doesn't just say we're throwing Latin in the trash can, right? Because Paul VI put out the uh, is it Jubilate Deo, which is a collection oh, of yeah, that's right. simple sure. Latin uh, mass parts that so. every Catholic should know. Right. So right there in the next paragraph, yes. he says the people should be able to sing together in Latin at least the parts of the ordinary of the mass, especially the creed and the Lord's prayer. So this is pretty interesting. You know, the same guy who said, we're losing it all said, well, we're not losing it all. You should be able to sing, especially the creed and the Lord's prayer, not so much the Gloria or the unused day, but the creed and the Lord's prayer, which we almost never sing in Latin. If there's or English Latin or vernacular. I don't know the creed in English. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but he says, therefore the Latin language will not uh, disappear. It remains the means of teaching and ecclesiastical studies. That's in seminaries. Of course, it isn't anymore. And the key to the patrimony of our religious, historical, and human culture. If possible, it will re-flourish in splendor. So, obviously, that hasn't happened yet. Um, But it's possible. I suppose it's possible, although I can't imagine studying in Latin without, like, a lot of retooling the whole system back from, like, seventh grade. Who, Who will be fluent enough in Latin to teach or learn in Latin these days? It'd be nice if they were, but it's kind of... Yeah, we'd be like Latin America if that happened. That's a different type. Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. So, uh, and finally, he says, uh, if we look at the fundamental outline of the Mass is still the traditional one, not only theologically, but also spiritually. If it's carried out as it ought to be, the spiritual aspect will be found to have greater richness. There we go again. Do it as it's supposed supposed to to be done. The greater simplicity of the ceremonies, the variety and abundance of the texts, 
the joint acts of the ministers and the silences will mark various deeper moments of the right and how, how will help to bring this out. Mm. So that was the goal. You know, there it's like uh, Cardinal Ratzinger's idea of the um, mural that was covered in whitewash. Do you know that? Nope. Yeah. Chris does. Tell us about that, Chris. Oh, yeah. He, so this is right. This is in the introduction to his book, The Spirit of the Liturgy, and he talks about the liturgy as being this uh, mosaic that had been covered over by centuries of uh, soot and whitewash and covering it. And while it protected it, it became inaccessible, and you couldn't see the beauty of the liturgy. So what the council did was to clear away the uh, the whitewash, the, the covering, and for a moment, its colors fascinated us, he says, but now it's in danger. <laughs> of being oh, eroded wow. from uh, uh, acid rain and things like this from, uh, from what? atmospheric yeah. elements. So, you know, if you have a darkened varnish on a painting and everything looks a little dim, so that's that's how they talked about the pre well, Ratzinger talked about the preconciliar liturgy. You couldn't quite get access to it because the yellowed varnish of time had kind of hidden it. But if you take the varnish off, it could see all the colors, but then the varnish it's isn't there. It's not protected. It. Right. Oh. And so the idea is to, or if you keep... I tell scraping. you, popes are smart. Even after the varnish is off, then you actually scrape into the, the painting itself. And so the idea is to preserve what's there, get it in its fullness, but you can't constantly change, 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 or else you lose the essentials. You remember that uh, famous painting in Spain that was recovered by the, oh, this yeah, lady? The Jesus she, painting. The Jesus yeah. painting. Oh, she my tried to, to clean it and update it, and maybe that's an apt analogy, too. I and mean, we have this beautiful thing oh. that we need to preserve, and we don't uh, can't afford to make it ugly. <laughs> yeah, that made a really great meme, though, so that's oh, good. Oh, yeah. He he something, good meme. something came out of it. So we can just wind up with this, right? Uh, he says, part of what makes the richness of the liturgy clear is the profound participation by every single one present and an outpouring of the Spirit in this community. This is what they were hoping would happen, that if people could understand the words of the Mass, they could encounter them, they were simple enough for people to understand and to do, so they could be celebrated with all the feasts and all the proper everything. Then he says, um, it will make the Mass more than ever a school of spiritual depth and a peaceful but demanding school of Christian sociology. Paul VI, mm. smart. Mm. What is the way that people live together in Christ? And I don't know if we make, do we make enough demands on people? This is a school of sociology. Uh -huh. How do you learn to live in relation uh, to each other? And if, he says, painfully, we give up the language of the angels and simplify the Mass, painful to get rid of all that stuff. But... The point was transforming hearts and souls in the world. And um, so it wasn't done lightly. You, could, you can imagine him agonizing over these things, but that's what he chose to do. It's kind, of, um, it's kind of frustrating for somebody like myself who really had no connection with the liturgy pre-Vatican II to experience the Novus Ordo the way that I did in the 80s and 90s and then read all of these documents or learn about these documents that say this is what it's supposed to be and feel like, well, how come we didn't do this? I know. You know? It makes you want to go out and strangle people, doesn't it? No, not that serious, but... Um, it gives you bad dreams. I'm just going to scoot over here a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> just in case. <laughs> so, Paul VI, don't, uh, don't hate on Paul VI. He yeah. knew what he was doing and he knew it was terrible and painful, but then it opens the interesting questions. 50 years later... Are we no longer modern people? And what does a postmodern church do to reappropriate tradition while keeping to, true to the council? Yeah. yeah, to meet those same ends. All right, Chris? Yes? What time is it? It's lunchtime. It is lunchtime. But uh, first, we'll answer a question. Okay. So why go to the Liturgical Institute? Well, if you want to serve the church and do liturgical studies from the heart of the church, you won't find any place quite like this. 
This place is faithful to the magisterium, but it's a dynamic orthodoxy, not dry. And at the same time, it not only makes the faith come alive, it also empowers you to help that be the experience for others as well. Hi, I'm Dr. Scott Hahn, and I want to warmly recommend the Liturgical Institute for your consideration. Pray about going and studying and sharing the richness of our living tradition. Mail call! Mail call! Oh, Moses, Moses, why do you question me? Why do you care? Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone? All right, this next question comes from Mike, and Mike says... When chanting a text, for example, uh, a reading or one of the presidential prayers, what are flexes and medians as reference to the Missal, Appendix 1, various chants for the Order of Mass? And how do you know when to use them? Thanks. Mm, okay. In the uh, Appendix to the Missal, uh, there's, two, there's two tones to chanting um, orations in the Missal. There's the solemn tone, which is actually very simple. And there's the what they call the simple tone that's built on uh, Dennis. What would it be a thirds and fifths? La da la da 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 la da da da. Are those the right intervals? You are exactly right. Mm, let us pray. That's da, a third. Da, 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 da. That's a f- the fl- what they're calling the flex. Right. La da 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 da. That's the median. La da 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 da. That's a flex. So, that's so the full stop. A flex is a little interruption in the line that comes for oh, a particular reason. So if you have a, a, a nice two note, two um, no, well, two part line, da 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 da, you're done. But sometimes they're a little longer. They have little introductory phrases that in the text might even have a colon after it or something. There's like a natural. Or pause like if you're there. chanting the collect, which is long sentences. Right, it, but it's not just breaking up because they're long. It's it's to increase the the clarity of the text. So a certain place it says, "And God said," then you say what God said. So it's like where you put a colon in the in text. Sometimes you might put a flex to indicate there's oh. a little pause. And it's not just arbitrary, but it clarifies the meaning of, of the text. Am I right on that, Chris? You you have some document in front of you, looking very official. Yeah. Well, what the um, what Mike and others should do, and I. I thought I knew the answer to this pretty easily when Jesse first read the question. Thought, yeah, we can we can answer Mike pretty easily. And then I started to read the Vistal and the examples and the instructions that it gives, and I understand his perplexity. But still, in the Missal, then, it tells you how to point a text, that is to say, when you insert the flex, when you use the tones for the mediant, and when the final step. So mediant means middle, right? So that's going to fall somewhere right about in the middle of your line. You may or may not need to use the, the flex uh, at all. Right. And a median is usually indicated in liturgical text by an asterisk. So if you ever look at a, an appointed text for the Liturgy of the Hours or something, there's a, an antiphon broken up into two parts, and the median is that asterisk usually in the middle there. All right. Okay, no, no, no. So, oh. so we're not done yet. So, and how do you point this then? It, it, with chant, it's, it's the language that determines where the music goes, right? So you're using the, the tones, whether the flex or the median or the full stop, to emphasize, to put an emphasis on the last syllable, or not just the last syllable in the sentence, but the last emphasized right. syllable. Right? That's natural emphasis in a line. Yeah, so... Um, here, here's, they, they give an example of the collect. So you'd say, let us pray. pray. Grant your faithful, we pray, Almighty God, the resolve to run forth to meet Christ with righteous deeds at his coming. So coming is going to get emphasized. Right. If it was just a single 
uh, a syllable word, it might sound a little bit different. And, and see, let us pray it. is not really part of the prayer. It's the call to prayer. Mm-hmm. Then there's this pause called the flex. And then the prayer is broken up into parts. And that's where this meeting comes in. See, and if you sung it, uh, with righteous deeds at his coming, that wouldn't be right because ing is not a, a syllable you want to have emphasized. So with righteous deeds at his coming, right? So that gathered at his right hand, they may be worthy to possess the heavenly kingdom. So the median is that little pause in between the two halves of that. And, and the flex is the end? Well, listen, no, the flex is that pause after the colon. So let okay. us pray, flex, pause. Yeah, sort of. See, that, that, there actually wasn't really a flex in that. L- oh, listen to how they do, listen how they, how they do the doxology. Yeah. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your son, flex. Okay, but that's not the median. It's not, through our Lord Jesus Christ, your son, Christ, your son. So the, the median's going to, the middle is going to be after you get the, the whole Trinity in there, after you get the Holy Spirit. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit. That's the middle. So you want to keep that Trinity together before you get to the middle. Then your second part, one God forever and ever. Amen. So when yeah. do you use a flex? You may or may not need to use a flex. The median is always in, uh, as necessary. And again, you, you, you have to determine by looking at the words. All right, so I've got this much text before the median, before the middle. Okay, where is kind of a natural linguistic break? And that's where you would find, that's where you'd insert the flex. So, and what the publishers of the missiles are going to try to do, or even the lectionary, they, you know, they don't print in block paragraphs. They divide up the orations according to what they call sense lines. So they try to, you can, you can kind of get a, a sense of it by looking at the punctuation, mm-hmm. but they also break it up according to kind of linguistic units as well. And so you'd have to determine, all right, if this is the median, you'd start with where your median is, and then you'd say, well, is there a place in there? Is it necessary to use a flex or not? So that's how I would describe it. And that's how it is in the lectionary, like when you're actually reading the gospel, right, at, at Mass, when a priest is reading it's you said it's not just block text. It's right, or the first readings as well are broken up like okay. that too. And again, a reader would have to look at the tones in the appendix. See, now, caveat, I'm not a musician, so I'm sure there are, are Adam Bartlett's out there and our other uh, Father Missios or, uh, could disagree. Perhaps they do. Um, but you would look at the reading of the text, and again, you would have to apply the tones that are given in the appendix for the readings. But on these same linguistic principles, it's trying to, what the tone is trying to do is to make the text more effective and efficacious. All right, Mike, I hope that answers your question. It answers a question I didn't even know I had. So if you want to ask us a question, you can email us at questions at liturgyguys.com. Thank you, and God bless. The Liturgy Guys is produced by the Liturgical Institute. If you like what you've heard today, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. And be sure to check out liturgicalinstitute.org to discover more about our degree programs, public events, and publications. Refresh your soul and renew the church at what Bishop Robert Barron calls one of the very best places in the country to receive formation in the Catholic liturgical tradition. Now that's a podcast.